Socrates once said, It's a disgrace to grow old through sheer carelessness before seeing what manner of man you may become by developing your bodily strength and beauty to their highest limit. Rock on, Socrates. Welcome to the Fieldhouse Strength Podcast. Fieldhouse Strength Podcast. If it's strength and conditioning, powerlifting, athlete performance, general fitness, and anything in between, we're talking about it. We're talking about it. Your hosts are pros who've done it all and here to share that knowledge with you. This is the Fieldhouse Strength Podcast. And here are your hosts, Sean Jones and Jonathan Bird. Welcome back, guys. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit about GPP today. Bird, what's GPP? It's, uh, General fit- practical fitness or something? No, it's got something to do with car, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like where you lift them, I think. Lifting cars. That is part of it. General yeah. Motors. They build cars. No, that's GM. <sighs> General physical preparedness, I think, is what it means. That can't be right. Okay. That's involved in sports. Not when I was playing. Uh, and not while I was powerlifting either. Yeah. <laughs> it really was. I just avoided it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's something stuff you don't want to do. Spreads it in the brain. Yeah, that's fun things. Yeah, but yeah, it's a huge, huge part of being an athlete. Period. Point blank. In any, in any avenue that you're in, in any type of sport, even in you know bodybuilding, where you know it's just posing. It's a part of what we do. So we're going to get into pretty detailed fashion what GPP is and how it applies to different types of activities, uh, different individuals in different scenarios. So, obviously, Bird, you know, you're the resident expert on powerlifting and apparently powerlifting GPP. So, uh, I'm going to turn it over to you to explain a little bit about uh, what you think the best way to approach GPP is. Well, you always want to look at it from the the end goal in mind, the end goal in mind is being physically prepared enough to make it through a marathon of a meet. Sometimes, you know, meet directors don't always do the best job of keeping them timely in order and it turns into a money grab. Sometimes you got a hundred and some lifters on a single day. It just turns into a nightmare. So, you I mean, the biggest piece of that is you need to be physically ready for the demands that come with it. So, are you preparing to run a marathon? Absolutely not. But your muscles need to be able to handle the lactic acid buildup and all the things that come with that. And so you have to train for it. Yeah, and, you know, as we mentioned in a previous podcast, and those that are listening already know, um, that are involved with powerlifting, but your total comes from one meet. Yep. You've got to get those three lifts in one day. Yeah, and I've, you know, I've been a part of meets that started at, you know, 9 a.m. and didn't finish till 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night before. I mean, just nightmares. Yeah, I talked to a guy once years ago, and he had just started powerlifting, and I asked him, what's the one thing you weren't prepared for? He said, I didn't bring enough to eat. Yeah, that, so long. my biggest downfall is I won't eat on, on meat day. Like my best meats were always when someone was forcing me here, you need to eat this here. You have to eat this, yeah. you know, or, or I just wouldn't. Yeah. Well, I always make sure I eat if I'm watching. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I eat more when I was watching for sure <laughs> than I was when I was actually competing. So I would, I would imagine nutrition is a big part. Of it, it is, you know, you know, really to go to in the powerlifting world is, you know, 
how you plan your training session. You know, that's a big part of it, the intensity that comes with it. And then a lot of, you know, it comes down to your warm up and after your training session stuff. I mean, uh, you know, if you follow any Brian Carroll stuff, he does a lot of walking, tons of walking every day for both back health and for the physical benefits of it. And two, a lot of sled drags, both forward and reverse. Believe it or not, doing more than five reps is not actually cardio. It's an important piece of being able to finish an actual powerlifting meet and finish it successfully. Right. So how high would you go? Uh, you know, most of my accessory work was, you know, eight to ten rep range. But on, like, some some things, we, we would do sets to failure, sets to failure, sets to failure. And that's kind of been a shift in powerlifting over the last, let's say, 20 years. If you go back to 70s bodybuilders, I mean, they're off-season, in-season, in-prepared powerlifting. I mean, those physiques were completely different than what you're seeing today. And you're starting to see a comeback of that build and physique for the very successful raw lifter. Uh, you know, those guys are normally, you know, look chiseled out of stone. I mean, they look amazing and the function is there. But like I said, the biggest part and the biggest go-to is to ability to fight that lactic acid buildup in your, in your body. And typically what I do is prescribe just some reverse sled drags and forward sled drags a couple of days a week. And then just some walking, whether it's on a car, you know, on a treadmill or around your neighborhood or whatever it may be. So the physiques on these raw lifters, why is it different? Is there a reason behind it? Uh, they're, the, the volume, the amount of volume they're getting in is much different than the transition. That So, you know, when powerlifting kind of was at its peak, they were just very, very large mammals. You know, I mean, they're three, 400-pound guys. The way of the heavyweight has kind of died off. There's not many of those left you know there's only a handful in the world and the ones that are in the world are, are freakily good but you know it's not not a thing anymore you know now you see guys that are um just built extremely well uh you know the guy just recently pulled 40 10 50 dan is, i think it's gibbs is his name he's an active duty marine he's stationed in pendleton uh, in uh california you know what i mean and so obviously you got to be in pretty good shape yeah, I mean, to to do that, to so, do that BFD three miles, whether they want to or not. You know, and that and that's the biggest thing now is we started making a shift back to not being a bunch of lard asses. You yeah. know, the whole we don't want to do anything more than five reps, so just get weaker. I mean, that's so far from the damn truth. It's unreal. It's really bullshit. Yeah, it's a fact that you don't want to. Call yeah, it. and trust me, I've been the fat guy who didn't want to do the cardio before. Well, me too, and I wasn't a, a poet. I don't like doing cardio now. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I told you a story before we started about the guy that I interviewed at the gym that had a world record quote. Yeah, and, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And it was almost like he looked at a rattlesnake when he saw the treadmill and said, "Oh, those will make you weak." No, they won't. Make you weak. No, not at all. You know, and that's you know, if you want. But the kid, you left out that he had a world record in the bench press. So my guess was he just bench pressed anyway. He didn't mention anything else. So you know that gives you an idea of what type of. You know, they as much. Full, yeah, you know, he's a third of the way there. Yeah, yeah, that's that's cool. But. Yeah, absolutely. I've done several, but you know, the world of powerlifting consists of all three lifts, and that's a different animal. What would you say your? You talk about the drags and that kind of thing. Would you consider your auxiliary lifts part of the GPP? A- absolutely. Um, you know, I try to work in a lot of carries and things of that nature. Bottoms up kettlebell, uh, suitcase carries. Things of that nature. So you're working grip. You're also working your your conditioning. You're, you're trying to hit as many avenues as you can in those things. Trying to build your core and trunk. You're you know it's 
all those things go together in a good developed program. I heard a guy on YouTube, I wish I could remember who it was, but I agreed to it to a point. I think it was a little bit extreme, but he said that you shouldn't do any bench pressing until you could do a certain amount of weight in the bottoms up press because of shoulder health. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I don't know if that's the right limit or whatever, but I like the, the idea behind it. I can understand the logic. I don't, I don't necessarily going to agree with it, but I can understand where it's coming from. Yeah, exactly. That's, you can't really set around it like that. But uh, yeah, it's definitely important for all that stuff. Grip is huge. And, you know, for, I mean, grip's huge for the bench press. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you, I, I know, this is just me training folks on a day-to-day basis. If they start to get stuck, I'll tell them squeeze the bar harder. Yep. Does that recruit more muscle fibers? Or? In theory, yes. Yeah. And, but it also creates the stabilization aspect of it. And that's the biggest part. Is the more stable you are, the stronger the platform you're pressing on, the stronger being able to pull it from the floor. Same thing with the squat, keeping it tight to your body. You know, just make sure. correct. Any leakage or, or tightness is a negative. Whether you want to admit it or not, I'm a huge anti. You watch people take their breath and shrug their shoulders before they squat, and like you just got loose. You weren't tight. Yeah, Louis Simmons used to talk about having a thick stomach. Yeah, yeah. Brian preaches it like you know, make yourself fat, basically, you yeah. know, and press into your belt and things of that nature. And that's mass lose mass, but at the same time, the more muscle mass you have versus just fat makes a huge difference. Well, that's what the, you know. The fat's along for the ride. It's yeah. not doing anything yet. So, um, yeah, that's interesting. So, you know, what's that got to do with anybody else? Is, is GPP a good idea for other athletes? Um, certainly football players. Absolutely. We do a million different things with them. Um, you know, our conditioning at the end of practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, ours is probably a little bit different than some places because we just kind of eyeball it based on what they need. Yeah, and where we are athletically at the time. I have been thinking more about making a shift for – how we treat our linemen. Um, you know, just like any sport, when you have people who play different positions and different sizes and body types, you really should structure your conditioning to fit that body style and that goal. You know, everybody's goal is different. You know, I need a receiver or a running back to be able to run a lot. Yeah. I need linemen to be able to push a lot. Yeah. So I thought about trying to switch our conditioning a little bit to uh, forcing our linemen to be engaged in the pad and, and driving it for 20 yards and then flip-flop and the next one drives 20 yards and using that as their sprints versus just riding up and sprinting. That is definitely not easier. Either. No, no, uh, absolutely. You know, again, you got to fight the lactic acid buildup that's going to be in your legs, and that's a huge part of it for a lineman. Yeah, I mean, that's the principle specificity right there, right? So that's a good idea. I'm going to say that. Well, you, you know, you and I have talked a bunch in the past about, you know, developing – the strength and conditioning book for, for football athletes mm-hmm. and how we really have to be specific for each position group, but more body type to right. make it to make it feasible because, you know, depending on what you run, you could have a big tight end versus a skinny tight end, you know, but things of that nature. But, you know, the reality of it is you have to break it down that way to get the best out of what you got. Right. Like, I really don't care if my 275-pound lineman can run 110-yard sprints. Like, we're not doing that. If he ever does it in the game, he's either lost his mind or we, something's going wrong. We just broke a long touchdown run. He's, he's going to celebrate. One hand in the air. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, my high school coach, uh, you know, he was pretty hardcore to the to the point it was beyond reason with a lot of things. You know, it was the uh, one water break break for practice. That's, <laughs> how I, that's where I learned to fight. <laughs> so you could get all the water you could. 
Yeah, you know, we had a PVC pipe with five holes in it. You had about five minutes, and uh, somebody got greedy. Everybody got pretty serious. <laughs> <laughs> what he would do with sprints, we had to run in full pads, which is fine, but we started at 1,000 yards of sprints and added 200 yards every week. The rest, we were running 2,500 yards of sprints at some point. So can you imagine how many of those were sprints? Yeah, I mean, you're just kind of flailing and running. I mean, there's no... No form, there's no nothing. It's just survival. I mean, just vomiting the whole year. Yeah. Surprising by stuck around. Yeah, it's hard. It's be hard to. Yeah, it's so. You gotta really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, you gotta love the game a lot. Well, um, you know, of course, in the weight room is, you know, that's the two championships all Yeah, I mean, it's, so for me in the weight room, tempo is important for my athletes. You know, we're, um, Today we did a bastardized speed work. So we did some speed work in the squat, speed work in the bench. So we did 12 sets of two. I don't know, like 50%, but the tempo is meant to be very fast. The bar hits the rack, the next guy goes. The bar hits the rack, the next guy goes. And so, you know, we're just working on trying to be one explosive and two, training their cardio by still lifting weights. Right. And I've said for years, I will bastardize equipment in a heartbeat. Absolutely. And you know, it comes from necessity. It comes from inventiveness sometimes because you've got the way it's designed. You can use it different ways. But, you know, when you're in a situation where, I mean, this is a nice high school weight room, but there are nicer facilities. Absolutely. Things you'd like to get accomplished, and you've got to figure out a way to do it. So with the speed board, what were the main movements you were using? I mean, today specifically it was bench and squat. But normally we superset them kind of with squat and deadlift to keep the tempo really high. you got to understand that we're also in – like six-man groups here. So there's always kind of somebody in rest while others are spotting. And it's 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 a dance, to say to speak. You know, you're kind of, it's kind of little waltz here. You know, you're going, you're going, rotate. You're going, you're going, rotate until we can get it all done. But it keeps our heart rate up. It keeps on moving some weight and in a safe fashion because it's not extremely heavy. Switching around a few variables. You've got rest periods. You've got load. You've got speed. You know, you've got the actual movement itself. I mean, there's so many things you can adjust to get what you want out of it. Just, you know, of course, you can do those same two lifts and, and change it around another way just to build strength. Yep. And that's what really comes down to is understanding the movements and then taking everything else as a tool. Yep. Kind of right now, we're shifting gears as the end of May, beginning of June. You know, August is right around the corner. And so it's getting more football specific. And more, let's get in shape. We've built, you know, enough strength base that we can kind of taper away from necessarily doing heavy doubles and singles to higher repetitions, getting ready, prepared for what the athlete's going to specifically need on a Friday night. As it goes, it just becomes more and more skill development. Mm -hmm. And so... Obviously, we know athletes in particular need this kind of thing, but it's not a one-size-fits-all situation. You've got female athletes that need these reps. Do you think differ from a football player in terms of their GPU? Uh, they're still going to be very similar, you know, and you have to be careful with how much jumping you do because it can beat the body up. But we do a lot of explosive jumping, whether it's jumps, stationary jumps, single leg hops. It changes from one to one. Tear. I mean, people think of wear and tear on a football players. There's significant wear and tear just from volume of run up down the court. So many games for a basketball player, yep. and I would imagine joint health becomes a real issue by the end. Absolutely, and it becomes you know, something you have to be aware of, especially 
with the amount of volume play in the AAU seasons now. Yeah, we're not talking about 25 games anymore. Yeah, you know, it's not just a basketball season. These guys probably play 70 games in a year. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And so, you know, you're, you're going to want to make sure. Also, you want to make sure that you take the player's height into consideration. We did a, you know, podcast not long ago about training bigger athletes, but if you've got a tall, uh, thin athlete uh, playing basketball, and he doesn't have the muscle mass that a six foot five lineman would have, you know, you're really thinking of, you need to really think about how much strength and stability there are around his knee joints and his hips. Absolutely. And you know, one thing that I do to to kind of assess that is I watch them when they land. Mm-hmm. You know, are their knees coming in, are their feet turning out? That's the case. Anytime you get knee movement inward, feet going out, that's rotation. And the, the knee, and it's an opposite direction. Yeah, we talk a lot in here. It goes above the kids' ass because they're teenagers. The ones that really want to learn, I spend some more time on. But how they actually land on the box from the box squat. Right. You know, are you jumping and just picking your knees completely to your chest and landing in a squat? Or are you landing in an athletic position? This is what we're trying to coach you to do. And that's something that I'm not going to say a lot of coaches do wrong, yeah. but I don't care for, you know, if we're making a jump to pick our knees as high as possible, that's not benefit us in the witticism that I would like to see. I want to see you jump, land in an athletic position, jump back down, land in that. I'd like to see you land in the same position you started from. Yeah. For me, it's going to be out of an athletic position. You know, yeah, right. Feet, you know, right around shoulder width, you know, hips with a little bend, knee with a little bend. You know, if you're having to rock back, jump, step, land with your knees to your chest almost on the box, this box is too high. We're not getting the benefit that we're looking for out of here. This is specific for our sport, for our athlete. You know, you get on YouTube and you'll see a million box jumps with guys jumping 60, 70 foot, box, 70 foot yeah. inch boxes, uh, you know, with their knees, you know, to, to their nostrils. You know, I'm like, yeah, they made it on there. But if your goal is just to jump to the highest box possible, that's cool. You're just a box jump specialist. It's right? a really cool trick yeah, for YouTube. Correct. But that's not what we're trying to get done. And, yeah, glad you cleared up the athletic position thing. I didn't mean if you jumped from a straight standing up position, land straight. <laughs> yeah, you always want the knee bend. And a lot of times what I tell them as a coaching point is it seems seems to be kind of innate. I just tell them to land quietly. Yeah. It's a good way to good way to describe that. Yeah. Yeah. They make a lot of noise when they're not landing on the ball. Yeah, yeah, especially the box goes flying and on their back. Yeah, it's probably not good. Yeah, bad move. Yeah. And uh swearing. <laughs> that's my job, not theirs. No doubt. Pretty much a guarantee at some point too. So yeah. you know, parents that you're listening to this, if your child comes home with a scraped up shin, it's because they miss the small box, because it's rarely the big box they miss. It's the small one because they don't put the effort into the jump because they go, oh, it's, it's shallow, it's short. They don't jump as hard and they miss it. That adrenaline and fear start to kick in, they get boxed. Yep. Yeah. But it's the, the little one they always miss. It's always, that makes sense. never fails. <laughs> so female athletes, now they really have some different things you have to take into consideration. Well, well, no matter what society tells you today, there's a very distinct difference between a male and a female, especially when it comes to training. Yeah, and I haven't even thought of that, but that's that's a debate that's happening. They had a professor from Harvard that has studied this very thing for 20 years. <laughs> and she, trans athletes and whomever, but she said the data just does not support the fact that it's fair. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. But, but, you know, there's a lot of factors you have to put in when you're training female athletes. Yeah. There are. It's just, it varies. You know, whether whether people are happy about this or not, you know, 
their hormone cycle matters in how you're training them or where you are, you know, and that, that's a part of it. Altered based on that because depending on how that hormone cycle goes for them month to month, they may become anemic. Yeah, and from my experience, it takes much more volume sometimes on certain lists for women than it does for men. Sometimes men can get away with less volume, probably due to testosterone. Yeah. It does for women who require a lot more volume, especially upper body strength. Right. And that's one thing I've noticed. This is just kind of a thing that I noticed over the years being gym. You know the elliptical machine? Mm-hmm. But it's in untrained populations. A man that's never done anything can have a problem with it. But women who are just getting started almost always say that's the hardest machine. And I think that the reason why is because of the upper body strength. They have to pull those bars back and forth, and that's what makes it tight. That makes sense. But the treadmill, it seems to be equal. Hmm. Um, and that's just anecdotal. Yeah, yeah. Same with my determination of volume. I'm sure there's a study somewhere that can speak on that, but from my experience training. Well, every major study does say that they are more susceptible to sports injuries than male athletes. The main reason is less muscle mass, more tendon flexibility and ligament flexibility. And you're just going to... Basically, what an injury is is if something moves the wrong way or too far the right way. And they are predisposed to do that biologically. So those are things you need to address. A lot of ACL tears and ankle issues. And I've trained a lot of female athletes over the years. And once it's addressed, they stay healthy. You know, but you got to keep it in mind. So uh, the big thing is to make sure that they've got good glute strength, that they've got good stability around the knee joints, and you know, making sure that um, the quads are strong. But Thinking of everything as one piece, like body is one piece, as a segment of joints makes a big difference because you're not going to get as uh, nearly as much force in the wrong direction or either direction with your knee joint if your hips are strong enough. And, you know, some of it is because uh, there is a women's hips are wider and it goes down and it makes the knees at an odd angle. I've heard people argue for and against that, but the one thing that everybody can agree on is the muscle mass issue and the hyperflexibility comparison to men. Yeah, absolutely. And so your hips and, and, and trunk have to be really strong to make sure that you can jump and land without having an issue there. And just talk about basketball players. It's a similar approach because they're thinner and probably have less muscle mass than football players and so they're bigger guys, but you're thinner basketball players, but they're jumping and landing and having the same forces applied. It's applied in a way where I guess height and volume make it a multiplier. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you probably would want to take some of the same precautions that you would with a female athlete with a male basketball player. That would make good sense. Yeah. So what if you're just an average Joe? Should you do GPT or is it just bench press and uh, lab pull-downs? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, why are you working out for? I mean, is your goal to be in better shape? Well, to be in better shape, you probably should get some base in. Yeah, get as much good stuff in as you can. It's no matter what your goal. I mean, no matter what your goal is, you want to stay healthy. Absolutely. And how many times have you seen it? Incalculable times, I'm sure. Where rounded shoulders, shoulder pain. You go to any gym in America, you'll always see the guy on the bench presses, and you know he's slumped over like he's working at a computer. You know, he's here, grounded. And the thing is, is he probably is. Yeah, on top of coming in and, you know, 
gravity he doesn't have enough rowing type motions and with his pressing type motions and with this. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and you know give the warning and you know, shit on CrossFit real quick. He's sat at the computer all day. He's always been a really fit guy, and he started with the CrossFit stuff, stuck with it. And the reason he did it is because he's thinking this is going to be a well-rounded program. Yeah. And I remember this was years ago. He comes up to me and says, "Man, I got something going on with my neck." What's it feel like? He's telling me. I said, do you feel like you're getting out of breath even when you're not working out? He said, yeah. Well, that's because those scalenes and the sternocleidomastoid muscles in your neck and upper chest start to get tight and you can't expand your chest. That's how tight it is. Oh, wow. And so I gave him some stretches and he said it started to feel better. But the problem is they weren't doing enough on the backside to strengthen the vertical flexion of the neck. And so he had a bulging disc in his neck. And not necessarily from CrossFit, but from compounding what he was doing all day and doing nothing to address it when he was working. Yeah. But it's, that's when he felt it was a CrossFit. So yeah. I've got to blame it on that. Well, specificity matters. Having someone who knows how to program versus randomization really matters. It bothers me that that became a word, but it is. Yeah. Gotta, gotta keep your muscles guessing. Yeah, gotta keep them guessing. And, and, and randomization, they used to have a different term for it. Uh, in the 90s, it was bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> now they switched. You're doing CrossFit. Good luck. But if you're really looking to get stronger, to have a better physique, you know, for whatever your goals are, you really need to be doing a lot of different things. And to kind of keep it simple, the way I would explain it, pushes, pulls, um, knee dominant, like squatting, jumping, you know, walking, like you said, carrying. You know, think about all the different ways your body moves and do that stuff. Yeah. And just, you know, and just focus on doing it the right way or making it a little bit harder all the time. You know, I was kind of making a joke earlier when I said, what are you training for? Yeah. If you're training for general health, what are the things that you do day to day, general health wise, and find areas that will help you improve that in whatever conditioning or lifting you're doing? The first thing I think about is what I need to work on is what do I suck at? Mm-hmm. Let's, let's start with that first. And, well, I can't walk very far. We'll start walking a little further. You know, I can't, you know, I can't do push-ups very well. Mm-hmm. Well, start doing more push-ups, trying to improve your form, that kind of stuff. It really is, it really is simple. It is. It's, you don't have to overcomplicate things. I know the internet has made you believe that everything has to be complicated and standing on balance balls and doing eight movements at the same time. But really, it's just people trying to get in a fad. Yeah. You know, simple works, and it will always work. Yeah, and you know, we talk about periodization. That's because we're trying to help athletes over a period of a year. Get ready for competition. It doesn't really have to be like that. I saw a quote from someone, you know, scrolling around the other day that said something along the lines of, if you have to have a bunch of machines, then you actually don't know how to train. That's 100% correct. You know, you you can get by with a rack of barbells, some weights, and some dumbbells. It'd be perfectly fine. Yeah. If you had a little extra change, grab you some bands mm-hmm. so that you train these things, but if you need 87 machines, you really probably don't know what you're doing. Yeah, well, you know, you saw my gym that I owned before. There was never going to be a treadmill in there. And people would ask, now, where's the treadmill? So the only time you'll ever see a treadmill in here is if I need somewhere else to put weights. And when I hire trainers, you know, where I interview them, like 
if you don't know how to make it happen with what's in here, then I don't need y'all. There are pictures on machines of how to use them. Yeah, absolutely. Every, and it wasn't a matter of expense. And that's a really good part of So any, uh, any final thoughts from you? Uh, you know, simple, simple works, guys. You don't have to overcomplicate it. Find uh, you know, what you're not good at and get better at it and find what you want to be better at in your day-to-day life and be better at that. You know, you can get very sport-specific in your different types of training, and you should be able to have some fun with your GPP. It doesn't all have to be pain and agony, you know, and set some goals, set some benchmarks. Once you check that benchmark off, set another one. And, you know, playing pickup basketball when I was in high school. No doubt. Still is. I still let the kids play two or three days a week, you know, in gym class after we finish lifting. Because they're running up and down the floor. They're having a good time. It's cardio hidden in a game. A little bit of fun. Yeah. Well, I think that's all we got for this week. So we'll catch you next time. Thanks, guys.